This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. Raise them high. Let me see. Who's heard of Brene Brown before? Okay. If you are intrigued at all about what we're talking about, and maybe it brings some definition or some clarity to some of the things you may have potentially been feeling, and you've never really been able to explain it or contextualize it, I want to encourage you to type in your phone right now or at any point during this morning, Brene Brown, the name Brene Brown. She is a researcher and storyteller. She is an expert on guilt and shame and vulnerability and putting it all back together and all of that stuff. She is incredible. 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 So if you are interested at all in this stuff, I want to encourage you and push you to that. It's a great resource. But before we get started, I want to take some of her stuff and sort of define some terms so that we're kind of all on the same page moving forward. We're all in the same spot. So the first thing I want to look at, it should be up on the screen, is this idea of shame. Shame is focus on self. This is the idea of saying, I am bad. I am screwed up. I am not good enough. The problem is with me. And so there's this shame attached to it. Guilt is focused on behavior. Guilt is saying, I do things bad. I do bad things. I did something wrong. I did something not adequate, and therefore I feel guilty about that. Shame is about the person. Guilt is about the deed. And so at the root of shame, before we jump into their stories, at the root of shame is a worry of disconnection. That's at the root of shame. It's this idea if, if, that there's something about me that if people found this out, I wouldn't be worthy of connection. I wouldn't be accepted by them. I wouldn't be worthy of their love. I wouldn't be worthy of their friendship. If they knew this about me, if they knew that I struggled in this area, if they knew that I wasn't this great at that, or I didn't read my Bible every single day, or my prayer life sucks, if they knew these things about me, they wouldn't accept me. They wouldn't be part of, they wouldn't be willing to connect with me. And so the best way for us to combat shame, let's throw this on the front end, and it can simmer. The best way for us to combat shame is vulnerability. Everybody say vulnerability. It's almost uncomfortable even saying that word, much less living it out and experiencing vulnerability. It's extremely uncomfortable. Vulnerability is what we have to do if we truly want to connect with people. We have to be seen, like really seen, not just the facade and the veneer that we put forward to people, but they need to see us for who we really, truly are, warts and all, right? They need to know all of our shortcomings, all the things that are a mess. We don't need to walk through life with this fake sort of thing going on saying, oh yeah, you know, I remember as a kid coming up, uh, it never failed. All the way to church on Sunday morning, my parents would fight. And I mean fight, like fight. Yelling, cussing, I'm going to go ahead and say that. Fighting, sometimes my mom would like double fist gorilla punch my dad while he's driving the car. I mean fight, y'all, I'm talking brawl, okay? They were brawling. This was like, you know, early 90s before all like the, you know, whatever. You know, you can't really talk about that stuff or do that stuff. Um, and so, I mean, they would go hard, hard in the car on the way to church. And then they get to church and say, hey, how you doing? Oh, we're blessed. God is good. 
God is good. I'm like, yo, you're not, but y'all hate each other two seconds ago. But now they're like in love and, oh, yeah, God is good all the time, all the time. God's good. You know what I'm saying? And, but I, and we, we can laugh about that, but the reality is many of us, we live life like that. We are struggling. Things are not okay. And we go to church and at the donut bar, like, hey, how you doing this morning? Oh, I'm good. I'll take the cinnamon donut. Thanks. Yo, you're not good. You were just crying all the way to church. You've been crying all week. You know? The thing to combat shame is vulnerability. If we really want to connect with people, we have to be seen, and I mean really, really seen. And so I want to throw out a solution to guilt and shame really quick before we jump into this. The solution to guilt and shame. Sounds simple. It's a nice little, you know, caveated little sentence, but it's a process that works itself out. But the solution to guilt and shame is to believe that you are worthy of love and belonging. The solution to guilt and shame is to believe that you are worthy of love and belonging. And what that takes is the courage to be imperfect. It takes that vulnerability. It takes authenticity. It takes letting go of who you think you should be and embracing who you really are. And being cool with that, knowing that God loves you passionately, deeply, no matter what. That he loves you with all your junk, with all, you know, warts and all, loves you with everything that you've been through, everything that you are. God loves you. And having that perspective and that understanding enables us to combat guilt and shame. And I mean, the Bible talks to it a bunch. It says, you know, how many of you guys know John 3.16? <laughs> how many of you guys know John 3.16? Okay, more than the first service. I was surprised. I was like, who knows John 3.16? And they were like, oh, yeah, I do. I was like, for God so loves the world that he gets... And I put the mic out like that, and they were like, hey. I was like, okay, so you don't know it, all right? How many of y'all know John 3.16? Let me see. If you raise your hand, I'm expecting you to say it. Okay, all right. For God so loved the world that he gave his, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? We see it on, like, on, T, on Tim Tebow's shoes and, like, on their underline of their eyes and football and stuff. So that, that's an awesome verse. But verse 17, was it on the screen? Y'all are a bunch of cheaters. First service, our screen wasn't working. That's why they didn't know it. Oh, man, y'all are cheating in church. Um, I guess it wouldn't be the first time, right? Um, ooh, Bluetooth. For God, listen, verse 17, verse 17, my wife's covering her face like, oh, my God, don't say that. <laughs> so is Rich. For the first, verse 16 is super important. Everybody knows that one. But verse 17 is ultra important, especially for the topic we're talking about this morning. Verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Y'all, Jesus did not come to bring guilt and shame upon you. He wasn't like, ooh, I'm going to go down and set the bar super high so no one can meet it, and then I'm going to make them all feel like crap about themselves their whole lives because they can't do it. It says, no, 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 he didn't come to this world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus didn't come to the world bringing guilt and shame. Religion does that. And so we got to be very, very careful because we are, air quotes, the religious people. And so we got to make sure that we're teaching Jesus, we're not teaching guilt and shame. Does that make sense? We're living Jesus, not living guilt and shame. We're perpetuating Jesus, not perpetuating guilt and shame. That's huge. That's huge because we're all in this together. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. They're saying, yo, listen, everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short. And nobody meets the mark. You're not in this alone. 
All your shortcomings, all your failures, all the things that are causing shame and guilt in your life, we're all in this together because nobody is perfect. Shame says that you're bad. Guilt says that you did bad things. But Jesus is saying, yo, you're not alone. You're not alone in this. And so oftentimes we feel so isolated in these things, and that's just not the case. And then later on in the same book, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 13, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scriptures say, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, meaning this is for everybody. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, vulnerability combats guilt and shame. But listen, as a Christ follower, it is absolutely imperative. Absolutely imperative for us to realize, to understand, and to know and remind ourselves that as a Christ follower, we are forgiven. It's imperative. That's ground zero. We are forgiven. We are accepted. We are loved. And we are worthy of love and belonging. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you are in your faith journey. The Christ follower is forgiven. The Christ follower is accepted. The Christ follower is loved and worthy of love and belonging. That's huge. And so as these guys share their story with you this morning, I want those things to kind of resonate and sit with you. Let them process as you're hearing their stories. And so I've invited these guys up to share their story. Each week, we're going to have um, a different group of people sort of sharing their story and how, how the topic at hand relates to what we're talking about and relates to them. So this morning, I've asked Tim and I've asked Rich to share because their stories are very, very different from one another. Tim's got a story that's really cool dealing with guilt. Not really cool, but it's a great story that I think, can, like, it's really cool. Don't call my pain cool. Um, I think it's, it's really going to be powerful for a lot of you because I think a lot of you are in the same season or have been in the same season or are, like, heading like a train wreck, in, train wreck into that season. And then Rich also has a cool story that's totally different from Tim's story, but I think really applies to a lot of us. It's like a, a, like a trauma-driven guilt and shame and how those things can carry with us. And so, uh, will you join me in welcoming uh, Tim and Rich up here? <laughs> Super excited. So, um, so I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start with Tim, and let him kind of share his story, and then we'll jump over to Rich, and then we'll kind of wrap the whole thing up, okay? Now, during this, here's the idea. We're having a conversation, but this is not just like an entertainment kind of thing. I want you processing some of the things that they're talking about, and how they can apply to your life and to your story. And how maybe you can use this information and use this content to help you in your faith journey or in the faith journeys of those around you. How you can help others through this. Does that make sense? Yes? Just a little head nod will do? Okay, perfect. Perfect. So, Tim, let's start with you. Um, tell me about your relationship and experience with guilt and shame. Uh, yeah, so uh, my experience with it started pretty young. Like, I grew up in church my whole life. Um, you know, I... As long as I could remember, I went, you know, two services on Sunday, midweek service, Petch Prayer Club, you know, all this stuff. So I was always in church. Yeah. So I knew, I heard a lot of stuff about, like, God, about Christianity. And um, so, like, I had a lot of knowledge, but the whole thing kind of uh, revolved around, it didn't really have much to do with the relationship with God. 
Um, it more had to, you know, Christian reads their Bible, Christian prays, Christian tells other people about Jesus, uh, Christian loves coming to church, like all these things. Um, so as a kid, I kind of just like constructed this like model Christian. Yeah. Um, and I thought my, the whole point of Christianity was to become that model Christian, you know, like, um, you know, God saved me and everything. And now it's like the whole point is to like be this, you know? Yeah. So I tried to be that um, and didn't succeed. <laughs> um, you know, I found myself, you know, if I didn't want to read the Bible, like, it's like, oh, crap, like, why don't I want to read the Bible? Yeah, like, like now you're a terrible person. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm obviously not a good Christian. This yeah. is what a good Christian does. I'm not doing that. I'm not a good Christian, you know, yeah. and, and across the board with everything. Like, you know, there were times when I did it, but then there were a lot of times when I didn't want to do it or I didn't do it. Um, you know, like, uh, we, on Saturday mornings, we would go through our neighborhood and knock on doors. Nice. And like, nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. How many of you guys saw Tim knocking on your door and then you hid under the couch? Yeah. I, I do not yeah. blame you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. Um, so yeah, we would go and sometimes it was just to like invite people out to a service. Other times it was to try to like talk to them about like, you know, about God and just yeah. to try to get them to become a Christian, you know, get yeah. saved. Um, and I like dreaded that like on Saturdays. Like, it was just like, I don't know. It was the worst. It was so uncomfortable. <laughs> like, and I was, you know, I'm this like kid trying to do all this. So, you know, and instead of like, you know, so when I was dreading that, like I internalized that as like, well, you obviously don't care about Obviously people. you don't love Jesus if yeah. you don't go knock, like knocking on random yep. people's doors yep. and trying to convert them. Don't love Jesus. You yeah. don't love them. You, you know, for all you yeah. care, they go to hell. Like, you don't, for sure. you know, so and like, you're probably going to hell too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so like all these things of like, this is what I'm supposed to be and I'm not this. Yeah. And clearly I, you know, I very much like saw that as this is who I am. I'm not a good Christian. Um, and then kind of on top of all that, on top of not meeting these, this bar, this expectation, um, I also struggled with porn in high school. So I had this like double whammy of like not doing what I'm supposed to do and doing what I'm not supposed to do. Right. Um, and it's so just it's both angles, yeah. Yeah. Like and you're not just, good enough because you don't want to do that, but then you're also participating in these bad things that yeah. are bringing guilt and shame and all that stuff. Yeah, and it was very much like, you know, I felt like completely like nobody else probably has even thought about the stuff I'm struggling with. Like, and the whole focus, like, so the focus was to be this great Christian, and then over time the focus also shifted to like, at all cost, make sure no one knows who you really are. Because if they knew, yeah. <laughs> they knew this, if they knew this, like, that's the goal. Like, everything, like, every interaction I had, like, every time I was at church, like, it was all towards this, like, mindset of, like, convincing them of that I'm this Christian who I want to be yeah. and not this actual person who I am, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so it was just, like, I mean, it was just kind of normal, normal for me. Like, I, yeah. I didn't really understand that there was another option. It was just, like, what do I do? I just kind of grip my teeth and just be a better Christian. You know? Yeah. What, what are the options, yeah. you know? So, yeah, so you felt like being in that internal turmoil just came hand in hand with following Jesus. Like, well, this, this is what it is, I guess, because this is what everybody else is doing, I guess. Kind of, like, it kind of felt like that's what it was and also felt a lot like there's something seriously wrong with me because, like, it's, I'm all inside messed up and weird and nobody else seems to be like that. It seems like. Like my parents going to church and they're like, how you doing? Oh, I'm yeah. blessed. Yeah. Hiding yeah. that they were just gorilla punching each other in the car while yeah, my mom exactly. was gorilla punching my dad. Yes. So it was like partly like, oh, this is what Christianity is. And it was partly like something's really wrong with this. Something must yeah. be wrong with me. Like I yeah. am not a good Christian. I'm not a good person. Like am I even going to heaven? Do I even know God? Like everyone yeah. else around me seems to. I must be the one that's broken here. You yeah. Know? No, that makes sense. So when, when then did you realize that like guilt and shame were even like a factor in shaping who you are and who where you were going. Like, when when were you able to, I guess, contextualize the things that you were feeling and sort of explain it to yourself as, oh, I'm feeling shame for not 
measuring up or I'm feeling guilt for participating in these things. Like, how did that sort of happen for you? Um, well, because it was so kind of ingrained into the way that I, like, um, saw myself and the way that I did life, like, it took a long time for me to actually, like, uh, put the pieces together. <laughs> um, it, actually, things had to get, like, pretty bad before I started, like, asking, like, what, something's wrong here, you know? So, like, in, um, you know, that was kind of all through uh, childhood, uh, high school and stuff. In college, I met some students at a Christian school who, like, really introduced me the first time, like, what it looks like to be honest about their walk with God and about their struggle with sin. And it really, like, shifted my mindset and shook a lot of things loose uh, in my Christian walk. And, like, kind of for the first time, I, I understood the idea that, like, the whole point isn't to achieve this, like, place that God is yeah. pleased with you. Because, like, no one ever really actually achieves that. And <laughs> God never asks you to. Like, right. the whole point is That's that he, thing, yeah. yeah, like, he did that for you. He, like, he he took, you know, he took that on himself so that I, I don't have to be perfect to receive his, like, love, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of the first, like, step to understanding that. But it still didn't really, like, see, like, it was introduced and it was kind of a foundation. But, like, all after college and everything, I still kind of really was, like, in this, like, headspace of, like, you know, I don't know. I, I'm a bad Christian. I'm a failure. It's kind of the lens. Like, it just over time, over years, like, these small messages that, like, when something went wrong, when I didn't meet the expectations that I wanted to meet, like, it just, I just repeated that narrative in my head of, like, well, it's because you're a failure. It's because yeah. you're fake. It's because you're not who you're supposed to be. And, yeah. like, it just, like, very much was a part of how I operated. And I didn't understand it at the time. I just knew, like, it got really bad to where yeah. I was just, like, I was mostly miserable most of the time, you know, yeah. like, mostly didn't really feel like getting up in the morning, just yeah. like, I just felt like crap, you know, yeah. and so, like, it was kind of, you know, during that time, I just kind of had to stop and be like, something's wrong, like, this this is not the yeah, way. Yeah, this can't be normal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I started going to counseling, I started reading a lot, and um, that's kind of when I first, like, had the spotlight shown on shame, and that, like, I read uh, Brene Brown as well, and it was like, it gave this, like, language and this context for, like, what I was going through, and like, oh, like, okay, yes, that's exactly what it's like for me. Those are the thoughts I have. Those are the reactions yeah. I have. Like, yeah. and so it was kind of like, okay, shame's at work here. It was like the yeah. first like introduction to it. Yeah, thing, you know? that's incredible. And so it took, so it, it essentially took you getting out of like your yourself and meeting other people who were willing to be. They were being vulnerable with you, yeah. whether you were willing to be vulnerable back or not. It, yeah. it shone a light on like holy crap, other people deal with this too. Like, this is a thing. Mm -hmm. And then you sort of hit the ground running and yeah. said, I'm going to do something about this. Yeah, because that actually was really helpful when I was in, like, when things were pretty dark and rough, it was kind of like, okay, like, I know it doesn't have to be like this because I had kind of that, like, uh, picture of it from before. Where, like, you know, I know that it doesn't have to be this way. You yeah. know, I know there's an alternate path. And that's where I had to start, like, asking those questions. Okay, you know? so, so then what did, how did you sort of overcome or is this something, like, you're still presently overcoming i mean obviously it probably doesn't ever go away it took decades to build this this guilt and shame framework of this is what a relationship with jesus is and so that doesn't just go away like you have a breakthrough moment of like a aha moment and then all is reconciled and healed and it's rainbows and unicorns fly off into the sunset like obviously that's not the case so uh, what, what is it maybe that you're still working through or what are some ways or advice that maybe you could give to some people in here that are potentially in that process or going through that, like, what are some things that you did that carried you through? Obviously, counseling was one of them, but what else? Yeah, um, it was kind of two, two major things. Like, there was an internal, like, 
kind of once I started to understand it and like I kind of had a way to identify it, like I realized that like a, like a lot of what you said, like shame is kind of the way you view yourself. And I realized that that was very much the way I was viewing myself. Like everything went through that filter. And so I really like took what God said about me and kind of made that the new definition of who I was. So you like changed the narrative yeah. internally yeah. first. Yeah. So like, so when I, you know, when I had an experience, when I didn't meet the expectations I wanted to meet, when I, you know, fell into sin, whatever, like I like, instead of thinking like, oh, that's because I'm a failure. It's because I'm a fake. It's because I'm whatever. It, you know, it said like, you know, I instead said like, I am unconditionally loved no matter what, like God's view of me right now is like the exact same, no matter what, no matter what I do, no matter what I'll ever do, you know? So it kind of laid that foundation. Um, and then, you know, kind of through that, like it started to, again, shift my perspective to where it's like, if it's not all about being perfect, then what's it all about, you know? And it started yeah. to really understand that like the whole point is that it's not about like, you know, being perfect and doing everything perfectly. It's about recognizing that I can never do that. And that like um, God offers me redemption in that like failure that yeah, I'm having. And, in spite of that. You know, yeah. yeah and all in the future, like, um, like no matter what I do, like, uh, you know, the whole goal is to receive the redemption that God gives in that and the grace that he gives yeah. in that. Yeah. And to help other people understand and experience that too, you know. Yeah. So that really like changed foundationally the way I viewed myself and the way I viewed the situation. Uh, my situations, you know, and then, so that's kind of like the internal shift. Yeah. And then the external shift was, <clears throat> um, like, a lot of what Brené Brown talks about is the vulnerability and the yeah. um, connection with people. And so I started, I took, like, I made strong efforts to, like, connect with people and to be vulnerable with people and yeah. to talk to people about, like, my shame or, or whatever. And, um, and kind of come out of that isolation of feeling like I'm the freak, like I'm the one who's completely screwed up and broken and no yeah. one else is. And just try to connect with people, you know. And that, that, that part was kind of hard because like some of the conversations were like super grace-filled and like awesome. Yeah. And some of them were like a little more difficult and like, you know, even hurtful at times, like if it wasn't received well or whatever. But, yeah. but it started to open that door up, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Man, that's huge. That's crazy. And so I, I, I invited Tim to share because I feel like many of the conversations I've had with people here is that whole deconstruction process where we're going through and we've, we've approached God and church and religion and all of these things in a certain way our entire life. And then we sort of, I don't know, begin to realize, man, something's not right about this. Something's not, not lining up here. And so then we begin to unpackage it. And when we do, I know a lot of times one of the byproducts of that is shame and guilt, especially I know in a lot of a lot of your stories that you know whenever you begin to live in a new way, and you start to experience things in a different way, there's like shame with that because you're going against what's been ingrained in you your whole life, and you're saying, well, I was told my whole life that you know if I wear red shoes that I'm like going to hell, but now I'm realizing red shoes are not going to send me to hell, and so I'm going to wear some red shoes. But then when the whole time we're wearing our red shoes, we're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to go to hell, right? And so I know a lot of us go through this, and that's guilt, and that's shame, and that's carrying through forward, and just oftentimes, you're right, we need to just pause and be like, yo, I am fully loved right now by God. You know, he loves me so much right now, my red shoes and all, you know what I mean? And um, yeah, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. And so um, I want Rich to share his story as well. Now, Rich's story is a little bit different, um, but again, I think it's very, very relevant, and I think it's very, very practical. And I think it can really reach, you know, many of us where we are or where we've been or at least people in our lives have been. And so this could be a great resource to share as well. But 
Rich, tell us um, sort of your relationship and experience with uh, guilt and shame. Okay. Um, so There's I'm, no real, like, yeah, awesome I'm segue into this. trying to this. think of, like, how to, like, you know, just, just get into I get just You just, just, you just yeah. okay, go with so, it. So, um, for me, um, my guilt and shame story was rooted in um, when I was young, probably about, I want to say six, six or seven years old, um, I, was, I was sexually abused. Um, and it was, um, it, was, it was a pretty complex situation because it was, uh, the abuse was coming from our next door neighbor. Sorry, I'm like trying to, like, where to jump in. So um, it, was, it was happening between the next door neighbor and, and, and our house. And um, so I, th- I think now, in retrospect, the situation was our next door neighbor, they had a teenage son. And at the time, like I said, I was six or seven. My older brother is two years older than me, so he would have been eight or nine. And, and it involved both of us and the next door neighbor. And I think what was going on was the next door neighbor's um, dad was sexually abusing his son. And then his son was then abusing my brother and myself. And this went on for probably, I want to say, a year at least, probably yeah. a year. Like the, probably the whole time we lived in that, in that specific house. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it went on for that time. And I was, I was so young, I didn't really understand the implications of it. I just know that even in that moment, so like sin and, and shame, or not sin, sorry, uh, guilt and shame showed itself down the road as well in a different way. <clears throat> but in that moment, um, shame and guilt was used to kind of manipulate my, my brother and myself into keeping quiet. And so me being like six, seven years old, that didn't really, um, I didn't really know that that was what was going on. It was like subconscious. Right. I knew that we were involved with something that was bad, something that we shouldn't, or we were made to feel like we shouldn't talk about because we were guilty uh, and we should be ashamed of ourselves. And so that was kind of used. And, and with it being a teenage boy and then the boy and his dad being involved in that situation, we just, I, I remember me and my brother wouldn't even talk about it, but it was almost like this feeling of like fear where it was like, we know if we say anything about this, um, you know, the teenager and his friends could at any moment just beat us up or, or you know, whatever, or the father could come knock on our door and just, you know, because we were literally direct next door neighbors. And so it was just like guilt, shame kept us quiet for, for the whole time it was happening. And so this was ongoing for probably a, um, probably a year at least. And um, we finally moved away, moved to another house in a different part of town. And so one night... My my brother must have been in like a like a like maybe like an not anatomy but you know at nine or ten no he would have been like ten or eleven he must have been in like a sex ed class or something like that and they must have talked about something that that triggered something in him because um, we were in the, we were in the uh, drive through line for McDonald's and I remember we're sitting there my mom just ordered I remember what I ordered and we're just ordered we're between the order window and the pickup window and my brother just like breaks and my brother turns to my mom and is like mom I think I have AIDS and my mom was like what like you don't you don't have AIDS and I'm sitting in the back seat and I, I remember just my brother just like 
why does the ghost is just crying? And he's like, Mom, I, I think I have AIDS. And my mom's like, no, 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 no. You don't have any, like, you don't understand how you, how that even happens. Like, you have to, like, do things to, to get that. Like, there's no way you could even have it. And my brother's like, no, no, listen, I know how you get it, and I think I have it. And my, it clicked with my mom, wait a minute, if you know how it happens and you still think it's possible, what, like, what, 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 what are you talking, and so my mom, like, loses it now, and my brother, like, in his panic, I'm sitting in the backseat just chilling, like, waiting for my nuggets. And and because I was dead focused on those nuggets. And my, my brother kind of panicking and just didn't know what to do or say whatever. He goes, you, it, 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 it wasn't just me. It's not just me either. Like, if it's me too, then it's then Richard too. Richard was there. Richard, it happened to Richard too. And I was like, you know, probably chicken nugget hanging out. Uh-huh. And. My mom just lost it, and we, we sped home. We get out of the car. My mom goes and tells my dad. My dad, my dad freaks out, you know, and, and my dad's like, on the inside, he's like Tony Soprano, or at least he thinks he is. And so, you know, you tell my dad, and my dad was like, all right, Pete, he didn't talk to us, didn't say anything to us. He hopped in the car and drove to the dude's house, like the, the family's house. <laughs> and he's like beating on the door, and he's trying to fight the dad and trying to fight the son and trying to do all this. And it just became this huge thing. My mom called the cops. The cops couldn't do anything because it was, it was some time removed from the, the incidents, incidences that w- were happening. And so it was just this huge thing. And so it wasn't an immediate realization that what we were a part of was shameful or didn't make me feel guilt. It was, it was down the road a little bit. And, um, but that, my mom finding out, my dad finding out, my brother having that moment of thinking that that, that happened, um, that kind of brought everything to the surface. And then I being like 10 or 11, dealing with that, you're like, okay, we're cool, funny. And girls go down to the basement, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like egging them on. <laughs> And then it, real quick, it, it just switched real quick, and they turned and looked at me, and they were like, all right, now it's your turn. And I was like, what you talking? I'm laughing at y'all. What do you mean? And they were like, no, 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 no. Like, this isn't a dare. You're going to do what we say. And I was like, wait, what? Guys, guys, come on. We're friends, right? And they, they were like, they told me, they were like, you're going to get naked right now, and you're going to sit in the middle of the room, doesn't matter if anybody opens the door. doesn't matter if anybody, you're going to sit naked in the middle of the room until we say you don't have to anymore. And if you don't, we're going to beat you up right now. And in that moment, <laughs> I was like, it, it was like a grenade went off. And everything that happened before got re-triggered in my brain in that moment. And and I immediately, like, alarm was whatever. And so, uh, you know, everything happened there, whatever. My mom... Somehow, I think my little sister, my brother, somebody knocked on the door. We're like, we got to go. We're supposed to go see a movie. So we're, we went. We're sitting in the movie theater. And my mom just, you know, she's the queen of getting terrible information at terrible times. And so we're sitting in the movie theater. We're watching the movie. And we're, like, eating our popcorn. And I just broke down crying. And I was just overwhelmed with fear and guilt shame. I felt dirty. I felt... I just knew, you know, being 11 or 12, you just know it's not right. And so I just started crying. My mom's like, what's going on? What's what's wrong? And I was like, look, and I just spilled. I just told my mom everything that happened. And so, again, here we go again, just like we did a few years before. Now my mom's calling the cops and calling parents and calling what and trying to figure out what happened. And and I'm back into a counseling situation because, you know, nothing, like nobody in the second situation, nobody, Nobody touched me. Nobody put their hands on me. Right. 
but it was enough uh, of an abusive situation, manipulative situation, and just the sexual nature of, like, having to be naked in front of two dudes that are hazing you and threatening to beat you up. All of that just unpacked everything all over again, and and it triggered for about, I want to say two or three years, a severe, like, spiral into obsessive-compulsive disorder. My mom used to count because she'd have to tell the doctor, and and my mom would uh, tell the doctor. I remember my mom telling me that one time um, she counted over 350 times I had washed my hands in one day. And that was because it was the manifestation of feeling dirty and unclean and guilty and and ashamed and all that on the inside. That was my... 11-year-old brain trying to, to work that out in a real way. And, um, and so I, I had to get, I was put on medicine for that. I was, and it was, I mean, it was bad. I would, I would see something on TV that would trigger a thought about it, and I'd have to go take a shower. I'd, um, I'd, I'd see a, a, a T-shirt that reminded me of the shirt I was wearing that day, and I'd go in my room, and I'd throw all my clothes. My dad would come home from work and have to unpack all my clothes from the garbage because I'd throw all my clothes away and take them out before anybody could see. And just the, that was shame and guilt coming out because I didn't want anything to do with what was going on, but I didn't know on what level it was being worked out in my brain and so that's how guilt and shame really like attacked me and I didn't even know what to do with it because at the time I didn't know what it was it was just I have to get clean I have to I have to rid this of myself I got to get away from me I feel dirty for what I did I'm ashamed of myself I can't look at this without it reminding me of this I can't think of this without feeling dirty so I'm gonna wash my hands I'm gonna take a shower I'm gonna throw those things away I'm gonna get rid of them because that's the only way I knew to deal with what was going on inside my mind. So that was, that's how guilt and shame kind of wrecked my, <laughs> my, you know, yeah. 11, 12 year old world for that's, years. That's wild. So at what point, when did you get to a place where, I know you said you entered into counseling and all that. When did you come to a place where you were, where you sort of worked through it or pushed through or had a breakthrough or whatever? Like, I mean, or currently, I mean, you probably still have triggers and things that, that, you know, bring things to recollection. Uh, what, how do you, like, work through that moving forward in your faith journey? Like, do, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so it wasn't until I was out of my, like, the, like, out, it was my late teenage years that I really began to grasp what was going on. So, like, yeah. through my early teenage years, it, it manifested itself in, in some destructive ways, too. I got past washing my hands five bajillion times a day and cleaning my clothes and doing all that. And my way of rebelling against that but still trying to deal with it was, um, so I went from that to, like, deliberately putting myself in, like, in, like, weird situations to prove to myself that I had power over myself. So, like, for instance, I visited New York City around that time for the first time, and one of my friends, like, dared me to lick, like, a public telephone. And I was like, right, you know? And and in my mind, I'm like, no, no, do this, not do this, do this, you know? And in my mind, I'm like, I have to do this. I'm in charge, you know? And Or I'd go to the, ba- I'd start going to the bathroom, and ordinarily, after, like, my OCD stuff would happen, I, I would do crazy things to avoid touching the handle or touching the sink or touching whatever, like, they're literally, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of comedic now, but I'd run, there'd be times that I'd turn the sink on, run over to the door, throw the door open, 
wash my hands in the sink real quick and run out before the door would close so I didn't have to, like, touch the handle. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. in a public bathroom. Yeah. Like, I'm relaying myself, like, like, try to get out the door before anybody's coming in, you know? the person on the toilet is, like, looking from underneath going, what is going on? Like, dude, that's a world record. So, um... So it would, it, so then I would like go use the bathroom in like a public bathroom or like a really shady place, and like I wouldn't wash my hand. Wash your hands is gross, but psychologically I'd be like, you know, never number two. I have to say that, just number okay, one. Okay. okay, okay, okay. And, and so I'd use the bathroom, wouldn't wash my hands, grab the doorknob, open the door, not wash my hands, and the entire time I'm walking away, and I'm like crying on the inside, like go wash your hands, go wash your hands. You have to wash your hands. You have to. And my OCD is telling me to go back, and I just. I just grit my teeth and fight through it because I had to, I, I, in that moment, I had to try to feel like I was in charge of it even though it was still there. And so that worked itself out. And then that became like a, because I was abused by like a man or, or a guy, then after I started to get interested in girls and stuff, then I had to like prove to myself that I could like still be like valued to girls. So then I'd like, you know, then I was approaching girls in, in a reckless way. Like, you know, I was always respectful, but I literally had, like, no standards for myself, no standards for them. There was no way. It was just like, okay, you, you have to be able to to talk to her just to prove to yourself that your sexuality is intact. And, that, yeah. uh, and it just broke everything. Like, I didn't realize the damage that it did and, and how it just worked its way into everything I did and how I was yeah. trying to compensate for it until finally... I was about, like, 18, um, I, I got serious about my faith again, and this is where faith comes into it for me, is I got serious about my faith again, and I just remember, like, being around people who were, were probably caught up in the self-righteousness of it and the do's and don'ts of church, but um, we talked enough about Jesus being able to, and the terminology is what struck me. I had heard the gospel. I had gone to little vacation Bible camps as a kid. I was probably the only one in my family who believed because I had a friend take me to church and, and all that. But it never stuck with me. And then when I was like 17, 18, I heard the, the verbiage of Jesus washes us. He makes, he makes us clean. Then it wasn't about taking your sin, forgiving your sin, removing, you know, all the, whatever, your transgressions and all these other theological terms we use, the verbiage that hit me and, and started to really set things off in my brain was that Jesus washes us. And for a kid who, in the course of a year, probably literally washed their hands hundreds of thousands of times in the course of a year or two years, hearing that there was somebody other than me that could give me the ultimate level of cleanliness through faith, it was like, wait a minute, there's so much going on in here that I'm trying to work out, and I went to counseling for this, and, and, I've, and I've tried to work through these things, but there's a faith part of this that's broken, and there's something that psychologists can do, and I'm not shunning that, or science, or medication, or whatever, that's great, do that, but there's something only Jesus can restore in you, and I had worked through all the other things, and still wasn't completely there, and then Jesus interacting with Jesus in a genuine way kind of made it made sense to me like yo spiritually you like you're trying to clean yourself but but you just need you need somebody else to do it for you cuz like you said mine wasn't about trying to prove I had it all right mine was trying to prove to myself I can make myself clean cuz I felt dirty yeah and and then under
Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.